Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Mike, I just remembered we forgot to do the uh, thing we were going to practice where we alternated words. Oh, yeah. We'll have to do it next time. Um, we are a part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. We're very happy to be part of that. I um, encourage you to check out 1517.org for a number of good resources, podcasts, blog posts, classes. Uh, when is your class out, Mike? I don't know. But it's all recorded. And, it's all recorded. Um, so Mike's class on vocation, It'll publisher pro- of books. We're a month away? About a month? Uh, the book comes out April 13th, and I would assume the class would be after that. So. so a month and a half until Mike's book on vocation will be coming out, but you can pre-order that yeah. um, now should you choose to do so. We are joined here in the studio with a guest. Guest, don't say anything more. Just say hi. Hello. Sorry. Some of you. Hi. Hi. Some of you may recognize that voice. We'll tell you who he is in just a second, but he's been on a number of times. And we are going to be talking today um, about something that sprung from me teaching in Romans. Um, Early in Romans, as we go through Romans, we also read um, Philip Melanchthon's uh, 1521 Lotzi Communes. We use the um, Concordia Publishing House translation of that, a very fine translation done by Christian Preuss. Um, And we were working our way, and we got to talking about um, the chapter on the distinction between the Old and New Testament and had some pretty good conversation in class. And I, um, Greg and I have been talking about the Lotzi um, a while ago, and uh, I know um, Mike is familiar with it, especially from teaching the Luther course. And so I kind of messaged out and said, maybe we could, this would be a topic we could do. So we'll see how we do with it, where we go with it. It probably could be several episodes, so it could be one where we don't come up with enough to say because there's too much to say, or it might be one where Mike just has to turn the Zoom off eventually because we keep talking. Um, but we will be then talking about the distinction between the New and the Old Testament for our free-for-all. It's our annual um, s- spring baseball upcoming season predictions. It's, it's good that we have our guest here. Um, because he is neither a Cardinals fan nor a Tigers fan. He is a Cubs fan. And so all three of us <clears throat> live in a uh, as pilgrims in a land of brewers. And uh, <clears throat> so we can give our perspective on, I don't know if we're going to talk brewers too, but um, we'll talk MLB and our teams. So with that, Michael, if you wouldn't mind, I think when we get to the free-for-all, that's when we're going to say who our guest is. Because I want to give people, as people have been on a few times, I like giving them a chance to try to guess and figure out if they know the voices. You did already say my name. I did? The first name. Oh. Well, let's see if they can guess the last name. <clears throat> and, uh, Mike, how about you give our disclaimer? This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employees. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune up, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. And that brings us to our free-for-all. Uh, I will uh, leave it up to Michael or our guest. Did you guess yet? 
It's Greg. It's Greg Lyon, campus pastor here at Wisconsin Lutheran College. Proudly sporting my 2016 World Series champs, by the way. Yeah, it, which is more recent than my World Series champs, which was 1984. Yeah, it's been a while. Sorry, The man. Cards, have they ever won one, Mike? Um, I, you know, I can't remember the three or four that they won in my <laughs> lifetime, let alone the ones from years gone by. Yeah. We won, it, we won one in 84. That was it pretty did. good. And 68. Yeah, 68. you did. It Against the Cardinals. Yeah. It was before 2016, though, right? But then you guys whooped us yes, later. that's what I thought. I think, they, I think Cardinals won in 67 and 2006 against the Tigers. Yeah, 2006, that was our year. Yeah, that was unfortunate for you guys. Yeah, that was a sweep, if I remember, wasn't it? Or was the second one a sweep? Um, I think it was a Well, what happened was the Tigers swept into the World Series, and they were just hanging around yeah. doing nothing for a long time, and I think that hurt them. Yeah. Was, was that was Kenny Rogers was cheating too? I think. Um, I don't know if I want to say cheating. <laughs> may he, may he rest being creative. in peace. Or is that a different Kenny Rogers? Uh, okay. The um, but uh, we will we will talk some baseball, um, and uh, I don't know. I'll let one of you two, both of you have more exciting prospects for this year for your team. Well, let's let's go around and talk about our teams, and then we'll go around and say who you got in the World Series kind of thing. So you start with your with your Cubs. All right. So it, it's a weird year for the Cubs, right? They're they're banking a lot on money from the marquee sports network and all that stuff, but then like they're not making any money from that, so they're cutting things left and right. Um, they traded you, Darvish. Yeah. They're starting pitchers. I mean, they're in shambles. Traded or they got rid of Schwarber, got rid of Lester. It's going to be a weird year. Those are probably good moves, though. I remember those years when the Lions were, or the Tigers were, uh, after being competitive, were just fire sales. Let me tell you, Greg, they're not as bad as they seem. This Um, isn't a fire sale. Yeah. It's just like, you know, it it was one of those things that. But if they struggle and you get to midseason. Right. Yeah. So it was one of those things that everybody was talking about, like, you know, I'm, I'm so sick of Schwarber. I'm so sick of, you know, Lester can't get it done. And then they get rid of him. Yeah. And now everybody's mad that they got rid of them. Right. And it just doesn't make any sense. We we uh we thought there'd be certain people that we'd get rid of and then we'd be over the hump and uh it turns out we got worse. We just kept Shocked. getting worse, yeah. We and uh, you and the Tigers are in a tough division too. But we did get Brad Osmus who managed to uh very skillfully um see us through some a rather steep decline. I can honestly say I know nothing about the Tigers. I I, I didn't even remember that Brad Osmus was a coach. He's not now. He's two coaches removed. See, we had Rod Gottheimer, great manager oh, yeah. from the Twins, um, and now we're we're moving on again. Controversial hire, the former Astros manager. That's right. But I've bought a few drums. I'm excited about this. I need to get myself back into baseball mode. Uh, I put the Cubs at 85 wins. Oh, that's pretty generous. Second place. <laughs> Look okay. at the Cardinal fan talking trash. No, because I, I think that the Cardinals would be at about 85 wins. But okay, I can I um, ask both of you, with your predictions, could you give um, Cardinals, Brewers, Cubs, one, two, three, which you see falling in which order in your – you, 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 this would be a race. You I think. Well, I think it will be one of those – the central champion is going to be in the 80s wins-wise. Yeah. So let's say mid to high 80s Cardinals – uh, mid eighties, okay. Mid eighties, Cubs. I think. I think. I think maybe the Reds may even jump the Cubs. No, I don't know about that. That's I, that's pretty jumpy. I, I, I don't know. About I, that. I don't know. They're they're they got something going there. Blastianos. Uh, is he still with them? And uh, who? 
Castellanos, he, they picked him up from the Lions. Yeah, he signed the like Tigers. A, Why do I keep saying Lions? No, they, they picked him up from the Cubs because the Cubs picked him up yeah, from the Tigers. But the, he signed like a four-year deal. They I used to call him there. Blastellanos with the Tigers. <laughs> and I think the, the Brewers are going to be uh, next, and I think the Pirates are going to be regulated to – this will be the first year they regulate somebody to AAA. So you have, the uh, they're, you they're have the good. Brewers fourth? I think so because I think the Reds are going to be good, and I think the the Cubs will hang on, but they'll. I don't think they're pitching; they're going to falter. So here's here's the big question though for the Cubs this year: if they're like one game ahead in first place at All Star break, do they sell off? Because they got they got four big players yeah. who are due a contract. Right. That'll be that'll be the interesting question for yep. the Cubs. Uh, Tigers. The Indians are are still pretty good. Uh, the White Sox are fantastic. I'm not sure. The Royals are always, who knows, a kind of whatever. Yeah. And then, are you a fan of the La Russa hire with the Sox? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think he's too old. I yeah, that seems wonky to me too. So that, 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 could, that could derail them, but they've put themselves yeah. talent-wise. I looked up um, the current standings. And so for, we're just getting ready for spring baseball. And the Tigers are currently in second behind the Twins. The Twins are 0-0, zero and, zero and the uh, Tigers are 0-0. Zero zero. Nice. Um, I so think like they're the... probably not going to be able to hold that. <laughs> what? What? Uh, what uh, give me your order of the AL Central. Um, I'm going to go Twins because they just managed to find a way to do stuff. Indians, White Sox. White Sox have gotten a lot better, but I just have a hard time thinking they're going to put it together. They, they've struggled to put things together with talent for quite a while. And then the real, I mean, the real race to watch in the Central is going to be Royals and Tigers. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the Tigers start hotter than the Royals. They get a couple games ahead of them. Uh, but come uh, second half of the season, Tigers in last place behind the Royals by, let's say, five games. Something to watch in September. Yeah, that yeah, is really something. Sure. I'm excited for that. Yeah. I'm gonna nice. I'm gonna go with. Um, now this is better than probably where they where I'm saying they would finish. But I'm gonna go with uh, sixty to sixty five wins <clears throat> because I think they're gonna start hot. Because you know how sometimes you come in, you got fresh people, they're energized, they're whatever. And then after a while, you start to realize you're actually not as good as you've been playing. Then you get like a three-game losing streak where you start to like, yep, we're right. We're not as good as we were playing. Then you maybe bounce back a little. Um, and then you realize you're going to get paid no matter what. <laughs> and so that's where I think it really tanks. So you're, you stay above 100 losses is is something to shoot for. I, that's my hope. Nice. Okay, so uh, – who do you let's uh who are your playoff teams in the National League? I'll give you the World Series cuz the playoffs are expanded this year, That's aren't true. they? Let's, That's too many pe- too many teams. Well, g- the Tigers g- might have a Give me this. Give me this. Give me this the, How about two from each? Yeah, give me the championship in the NL and the AL. And I'll then give your World you, Series. Uh It seems cliché to pick the Dodgers. It's hard to pick against the Dodgers, but I'm going to go ahead and go with the Padres this year. Oh, that's going to be mine. Padres in the You can still you're still allowed. Yeah. Right. Um, so I'll go Padres in the national. Um, so Dodgers and Padres, you're saying? Or? No, 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 no. Who's, the, who's your Padres? Who's your two in the national? Oh, in, in the national league. Okay, I'll I'll go Cubs and Padres then because I'm still a meathead, um, and and I think the Cubs are gonna 
I don't know. I'm just gonna. I, I just gotta do it. Al, I'm gonna go. I think you're wrong about the Sox. I think the Sox are gonna put it together this year. Um, so I'm gonna go Sox, and um, I don't know. I, I don't even know who else in the Al. Astros. Why not? Let's just do Astros. I know. I'm not a fan either. All right, I'm going to go with... Uh, That's your most hated team, isn't it? Yeah, it's the only team that I hate. That was your most hated team before the scandal uh, even, wasn't it? Before the scandal. My gift to you, that's why I, I chose I, The only... I don't, like, hate teams, except Duke basketball, Astros baseball. That's okay, pretty much I'll, it. Okay, I'll admit. Let's go I Sox, agree with you on Duke. Yeah. Sox and Rays, because the Rays always yeah, put it okay. together. Sox and Rays with the White Sox. White Sox in the World Series. Against White Sox, the Padres, Padres. Padres in six. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, Wade, what do you got? Um, I'm going to go Padres as well, National League, partly because if the Padres make it, last time I believe the Padres made it, the Tigers beat them mm-hmm. in 1984. Mm-hmm. So maybe they could drag the Tigers along in a surprise season and the Tigers win the World Series. Nice. Good pick. So I'm uh, going to go um, with the Padres. And then, you know what? Can I do something fun that I don't think will happen? Mm-hmm. Mets. Uh, they're they're actually not going to be bad. Um, I am going to go with. I think it's going to be the Dodgers and the Braves, and the Braves are going to beat the Dodgers. And then in the a- AL, it's going to be the Yankees. Um, Remember when we went to a Yankees game together? We did. What was your your view on the stadium, Mike? Overrated, underrated? Overrated. I agree. Yeah. I'm going to go with Yankees, and uh, I think the Twins. Which is wow. a, it's a long shot. Um, the Twins have just been like they just plucky the they, last few they just, years. They I think keep they're gonna grinding. I think they're gonna do it. I think they make a. I think they go. This is our year. We got to make a. We got to make a move, and they make a free agent splash at the end. But man, I just think the Yankees are probably gonna go to the World Series again. But I'm gonna go Braves over Yankees. In how many games? Let's go seven. I like that. It's not bad. I mean, it's not. It's not. It's, I mean, you could have. You get a Braves, Dodgers, Padres, uh, Cardinals. You could see all of those teams going into the championship game, maybe in the World Series. Do I get to do my AL? Yeah, I thought you had the Tigers. Go ahead. No, I. I said, it's either the if, Tigers under a hundred losses or in the no, World I'm Series. No, I'm going to go with um, Athletics and Yankees. Okay, and who wins? Uh, it pains me to say it, but I think Yankees. Yeah, I it's think just so been too. a while. It's hard to count the Yankees they just, out. They just got a lot of pipe. They're in a division that I don't think there's going to be. I mean, the Rays will be, but I think the Red Sox are going to get beat up a little bit this year. But, so, so if you guys can have me back in early November, uh, we're talking about Christian freedom today. So maybe a little bit of moralistic law in November as a follow up to this one, I would appreciate it because <laughs> I want to see how well I did. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, sounds fair. Absolutely. Is there? I I forgot to look up. Are they doing the DH all around again this no. year? Or are they? No. It's still. I think it's still technically an option, but the players' association says no. The players are against it because it was packaged with another deal. They didn't uh, like the, the rest of the deal. I'm against the DH, universal DH. Keep it as it is. Yeah. I'm a, shocked, Mike. That doesn't seem like something uh, that you would be against. I tolerate it. All right, well, should we talk OTNT? Let's do that. We'll come back.
All right, and that brings us to our main topic where we're going to be talking about the distinction between the Old Testament um, and the New Testament. And I think just an interesting discussion because one of the things that <clears throat> comes out um, often, I think, general impressions that Christians have or non-Christians, right? I would say, um, Mike, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but often, probably in apologetics, you're dealing with people who raise objections, especially to the Old Testament God. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking of Hitchens and others who would talk about, you know, this wrathful, vengeful, hateful God. They could never believe in a God that they believe doesn't exist. Right. And, um, and so I think there's often the impression among Christians and non-Christians, um, among parishioners and students in our schools, uh, not a Manichaeism that there's two forces or two gods that are different, um, but maybe a sense, I, you guys can correct me if, this is, if I'm wrong on this, but a sense among a number of people maybe that the Old Testament is law and angrier God, New Testament is gospel and nice Jesus. Um, and I think this can... Uh, to which you say, read the New Testament. Right, right, right. <laughs> In fact, just read what Jesus said. Yeah, and I, I think hopefully it's it's good um, for us to think about this sometimes and talk about it because uh, there's a reason um, that the church has accepted as canonical the books of the Old and New Testament that it has. Um, the New Testament really doesn't happen without the Old. The gospel writers are appealing to it. Um, Paul is appealing to it and using illustrations and uh, images from it, um, even uses an allegory um, with Sarah and Hagar. And, uh, and also, there's just a lot of wonderful gospel in the Old Testament. If you think of, I think of especially the Lenten season, some of the Old Testament readings um, are readings that have inspired some of our most beautiful hymns, um, our art and our, our churches. Um, and... Uh, and so to talk a little bit first and foremost about the Old Testament and the New Testament, about how they relate, to maybe talk about law in the Old Testament, ceremonial, civic, or judicial, as Melanchthon says, and moral, to maybe talk about, Greg, you mentioned before we went on to record, um, to talk about uh, the Sinai, Sinai, covenant at Sinai and um, the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, which is a very powerful picture how God makes that covenant in Genesis 15. And so to talk about how the two relate, I think, you know, it's interesting too. Sometimes when people don't like um, the church standing on scripture when it comes to law, um, will appeal to things from the Old Testament and say, well, do you eat shellfish? The Old Testament says not to eat shellfish. And the answer, of course, would be, well, I'm not a Jew living in the Old Testament under uh, the Mosaic law. So do you eat I don't eat shellfish, but I could if okay. I wanted to. Um, and, and so I think this, just in the, in the cultural discussions that take place, is something that often comes up as well. And sometimes people in the culture wars will use the Old Testament in a way it was not intended to be used, where they'll make an argument perhaps from an Old Testament verse that was part of um, law that does not apply the same way in the New Testament, when the New Testament address it, addresses the issue perfectly fine itself, right? Um, and so just to talk a little bit about those things, um, I guess I would throw it out to either of you two where you might want to go in any of that that I mentioned. Um, I guess the, the final concept will just be Melanchthon talks a lot about freedom and we could maybe get to how that relates. Um, 
maybe Mike, if I can put you, I didn't talk to you about this before this, but this just comes to mind with me now that it came up before. Um, what about the Old Testament and apologetics? What, uh, how does it, how does it come up in your view and, and what specifically about it do people like to attack? Yeah. So, um, it often be, and this is kind of, it's really old now. It comes from the new, new atheists, which are really old now. I mean, we've kind of pass them on you mentioned like Hitchens and um, that um, an accusation against the immorality of God so uh, in the New Testament I guess you don't really have instances where you could say God God said this um, commanded this and therefore he's immoral it's easier to attack the the so-called God of the Old Testament so genocide um you may see massage i mean just go through the through the lists and uh for the new testament god it becomes child abuse right you'll see that and so that because of his own son his yeah own sacrifice, which yeah. is easily to dismiss because it's a misunderstanding of the trinity right but i think the um part of the issue um is first of all you, you know you you are you are accusing a God that you don't believe of something, you know, I mean, th- th- that's part of the issue. And you, you, and the reason why that's an issue is because you're saying this attack from the outside of the church is really not an, a logical attack. It's just, it's more propaganda. I want to make this sound that Christianity is, is foolish and stupid. Oh. And, and that's a fair attack, right? To say here, this is you say you live by this and that your God does this, but it's attack on me personally and my worldview rather on the existence of God, because the existence of God does not depend on whether I like him or not. Mm-hmm. Right? That is extremely, extre- that would be extremely. Illogical. I'm guessing sometimes that you're disappointed that that's also how the existence of Wade works. Right. You know, you're like, like, um, well, I, I use the example of if, if you had that power just to wish away things because you didn't like it, you know, maybe you should concentrate on wishing away genocide, right. you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's, it's delusional, but I, I think that, um, what another way to deal with this is, is to get on the problem of evil or the, or the better yet, the moral argument for the existence of God. So you are, you are asking, um, you're asking us to judge God on a moral basis. Where does that moral basis come from? Right. Um, you're, you are using a Judeo-Christian worldview for the most part, not exclusively, but for the most part, to judge, judge the the God of the of the Jews and the Christians. Um, but I think the the bigger issue is, um, how do you deal with God saying, uh, destroy the Canaanites, right? And that was going to be my question. Yeah. Um, you know, you bring up some of the things they say about the Old Testament. Some of them are true. How yeah. do we? So I think one way to one way to to deal with that without falling into the trap of a theodicy is what you and I would would say. Look what God has to deal with. And just briefly, theodicy. So using reason to um, defend God is how I like to put it. But I, there's more technical ways. Maybe to coming up it. with like a um, whenever you talk about it before, kind of like coming up with a narrative to explain something. Yeah, that God hasn't necessarily. God did this. For this reason, yeah. when God hasn't said, that's why I did Or, you know, technically it's justifying the ways of God to man, right? But I like, in practicality, it's being God's PR firm. 
and God doesn't need you to be his PR firm. You have to let God be God. At the same time, we don't just blindly go, well, I guess that's what, it, what he just wanted to kill the Canaanites and the women and the children, so that's it. So I, I think you have to reasonably look at the, the ethics of the Old Testament um, Israelites, and if you compare that to other ethics of the time period, it actually seems a little bit more progressive, mm -hmm. right? And so that's not a good enough, that's not a good enough, it's not a good enough reason for the person living in America in 2021, but it would be anachronistic to, right, put our morality back on them. Our morality in a lot of cases may be better and is better, but you have to say, look what God's dealing with here. He's dealing with the ancient Near East, which is extremely debaucherous, extremely violent, um, and we also have, we have terms that we think of or categories that we think of human rights or a category, for instance, of there's somewhat of a separation, however you want to de define it, a separation between the religious and the secular. These are concepts that would perhaps be completely foreign mm -hmm. to the old Testament, or I will say, yeah, we may be much better when it comes to, uh, marriage laws and human rights. But there are certain things that they do better than us. Like they kept their word mm -hmm. where we just lie and it doesn't matter. So kind of you kind of maybe even use diversity um, a as a strength here by saying, listen, I don't think you can just condemn everybody's morality so easily. Right. right. You turn the tables on them and say um, there is something else going on here. I think there is also a sense we, we don't like this. We who criticize modernity and the idea of unlimited progress and we who have a, a low view of humans ability to do good, but there is in certain areas, there is moral progress by the influence of God in the world, right? For instance, even 50 years ago, right? Um, certain things you could say are not acceptable today. And generally that's a good thing. Um, we, we don't, we don't tolerate child sacrifice anymore, right? But I think here's, here's, well, we the, here's the best. <laughs> that changes my thinking. Yes. Here is the best, I think here is the best tactic to take is to get the skeptic, try to get them into a mindset where they're very angry. So you say, imagine your mother having the worst possible thing that you can think of. We're not going to even mention it on the podcast because it's too horrific. Happens to your mother. Are you telling me that you don't want swift and merciless justice? Now watch God, watch his people, child sacrifice, human trafficking, all of those things. And you finally get to the point where you go, maybe my criticism of God is not so much that he was so vengeful, but why was he so patient for so long? Uh, maybe my criticism is privileged in a way. Absolutely. That I live in a day and age where I've not... Absolutely. And I'll use, I mean, look how angry you get at the cell phone company who charged you an extra $10 accidentally. I do get angry at that. You know? And yet God's not allowed to have his, you know. Um, but, but another, and this is maybe a whole other episode, but another thing to think about is we live in a post-enlightenment world and we think like post-enlightenment people. So when we say, oh, God was racist because he privileged the Israelites over the the Philistines. Um, they don't think in terms of race. They think in terms more of religion and culture. Mm -hmm. So that colors 
the Old Testament. And so I think the answer is to actually dig into the Old Testament as much as you possibly can with this skeptic, if that's even possible, and say, I think it's a little bit more nuanced than you would like, but then always come back and be going, yeah, holy crap. I mean, and it's not just the, it's not just. God does, that God, if God gets angry, he's certainly has the right to get angry and his judgment is going to be just and, and, no matter what. And, you, and notice, notice here, you don't go very far in the pages of the Old Testament without hearing horrific things from the so-called heroes of the Bible. And the purpose of, the, of this is to show us that not only God forgives these people, but uses these people. In your worldview, dear atheist, you don't have love or forgiveness or really an answer to this anyway. You, you're still stuck with evil, right? right? So there's different tactics that you can sort of take uh, when you, there's accusations against God without falling into a theodicy, I think. Um, Greg, you, oh, did you, if you have something in this question. No, I was, I was just going to say you were talking a little bit earlier about the, the moral, civil, and ceremonial law. How much of our frustration of, of God is how he carried out his justice in the Old Testament? Mm-hmm. And, and so often in the Old Testament, not all the time, but he says, I am carrying out this justice in this way because. Right. Um, and, and I think, I and, think sometimes... And, and uses the, the Babylonians against the Assyrians or the Persians against Babylonians. And, right. Yeah. So you read through like Leviticus and whatnot. Um, you can see how God feels about sin in the way that he carries out the justice. If, if you do this, you will be stoned to death. Now, that's, that's a distinction between moral and, and civil law. How does, how does the government carry out yeah. this, this judgment under God? Um, but you talk about the shellfish example, um, or even how we deal with specific sins. Like I said, somebody gets stoned to death if they do this. Um, that deals with the government thing. And once you, once you have a different government in place, there are different ways for how justice is carried out. Um, but the, yeah, I'll pause there. Well, and I think you hit on there, and to, to riff on Mike a bit too, um, you know, think of just in our own day, um, when we hear the word justice a lot. Well, when people think there's been injustice, uh, there's a pound of flesh people want. Right, we're past a day and age, um, at least in America, if not in the West as a whole, um, where an apology means much of anything. Remember when you just you would issue an apology and then the person kind of got over it. Um, so I would say even you could, you could retain your office yeah. of the highest, the highest uh, um, office in the land. Yeah, and now um, it tends to not be enough. And, and I would say, let's flip that then. That's a recognition that justice also often includes punishments, right? Um, and yet, when God recognizes that in his justice and wisdom, um, we sometimes get very upset, right? Uh, I would say also, honor and shame have not been strong concepts in the West. And we talked about that with Ken Cherney the other day. But honor and shame are becoming a bigger thing now, too. Unfortunately, I would say, not always in a healthy way. Um, but the idea of a group or a person bearing shame, which is a very Old Testament concept, um, right, that's back. And so I would say um, many who might take issue with the God of the Old Testament are, in essence, um, using concepts that are not so different than, um, than what we might talk about. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I, I think so. I, I think 
and and we've talked about this that with a let's just call it a new morality um that there is a striking um absence of any kind of reconciliation or love um other than a very old testament pound of flesh Uh. justice so it's not a good thing necessarily um but you're, you're right that it's the law can go many different ways. We can, you know, and it seems so fun and it seems so fulfilling. But in the end, as we both have said, uh, when all said and done and you've you've eviscerated everybody with the law, there's nobody left but you to live up to this and it's not going to work. Yeah. And, and so often when God is enacting justice in the Old Testament, too, he makes clear it's for Israel and specifically for the line of the Savior to come. Um, it's it's at the same time then a display of mercy. And if you look at the Israel that he keeps delivering, um, like the church in the New Testament, it's not a very, he's got to get tired of the grumbling and the mumbling mm-hmm. and the chasing after every which thing. I mean, we'll get to Good Friday and we'll get to Lamentations and, you know, the um, the picture of this adulterous wife that <clears throat> that God is putting up with. And there's a patience there and there's a mercy um, displayed at the same time uh, that uh, we dare not forget about. Greg, you mentioned... Sinai and then Genesis 15 with Abraham. And maybe if you could just unpack a little bit for us, what does that tell us about the Old Testament and what's important for us to keep in mind about the Old Testament having more than one thing going on in those two things? Yeah, you know, I, I spent a lot of time talking with students, um, primarily on a, on a faith level, you know, struggling with certain passages that they read. They know their Bible maybe a little bit too well. I, I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but... There's some people who can use the Bible that they know so well as a weapon against sure. themselves. So there are plenty of passages in the Psalms or, or in Isaiah or just scattered throughout the Old Testament where you definitely get this. Um, as long as I keep God's will, then he will be merciful to me idea. You know, and you and can, unfortunately, you even get it in some pulpits, yeah. Yeah, and, and you can absolutely use that as a weapon against yourself, that God can't be merciful to me because I haven't been able to do that. I think sometimes it's important for us to read those passages in view of uh, the Sinaitic covenant, which was absolutely a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours type yep. of covenant. You keep you my law. the fourth commandment especially, yeah. Right. You keep my law and I will be gracious to you. Um but the Sinaitic covenant never removed the covenant made to Abraham. You know, the Genesis 3.15 to uh, Genesis 12 to Genesis 15. Which is a big point Paul likes to make in the New Testament. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, that the smoking pot walking be, or uh, floating or whatever Wait. it did. Between I know Greg's a Cubs fan. I'm thinking of Illinois now. You're not talking about the type of smoking pot that is now legal in Illinois. Not that kind. At least okay. I don't believe that's what Moses had intended okay. when he wrote that. Uh, but he was a very progressive, as, as Mike was saying. So maybe he was thinking ahead on that. I don't know. Um, there, I don't. I don't see any law in all of uh, the Pentateuch that talks about illegal drugs. Yeah, but I digress. But I digress. And I started the digression, so I apologize. The smoldering pot. There you go. There's shall a good we say? One. There's a good one. You know, uh, going going between the two halves of animals, and and the pot is going through by itself. And Abraham is not walking through the the symbol of the one-sided covenant that um, God is making a promise 
ultimately to himself that I am going to make good on this. I am going to fulfill my promise to you. And um, Abraham played played no part in that, even though he tried. <laughs> yeah, you know, he tried time and time again. And and I know I've heard this said in in many different places that the Old Testament is really the story of God's people trying to fulfill his promises for him. Um, And we see how they screwed up time and time again. But uh, so, so I think sometimes it's just good to look at those passages and consider uh, the two different covenants that are, that are going on simultaneously. Um, Israel could not keep the Sinaitic covenant. They blew it, you know, and there was, there were ramifications for that, Uh, you you know, and you see those a lot in the, like in the pre-exilic prophets and, and whatnot, that kind of, tone that we'll keep God's will and God will be merciful to us. Yeah. So, um, I think with that too, um, that notion, right, that that's what becomes so important when we get to Romans and and Paul says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, I sometimes, some of my students will look at me a little funny when I'll say of Old Testament people, you know, Adam and Eve were Christians. Abraham was a Christian, right? Moses was a Christian. And uh, that we not forget um, that that's what drove everything else. While the Mosaic law at Sinai was to be a hedge to keep the Jewish people from um, the many sins, as Micah said, this was not the um, most pleasant place to live in human history um, or geography. Uh, It was the promise that was meant to, to drive them and that is the animating um, aspect of the the Old Testament. And just to, to hit on when you mentioned promise, right? Ultimately, what's the only thing you can do with a promise is trust it or not trust it. And to want to help it along is a sign of weak trust. And yet, God did not extinguish the faith of those who did, um, but rather calls them out of it. Um, but promises again and again uh, drives this home even with... Uh, stopping Abraham from sacrificing um, Isaac, for example. Um, well, and it's that, it's that promise that you read through in Isaiah that the most beautiful passages that anybody could highlight in Isaiah that they say, oh, that, that's the one that hits me every single time. Um, Isaiah 43, um, I called you by name, you are mine, yeah. right? These beautiful promises or these beautiful passages are all based on that Abrahamic promise. So, Isaiah could confidently speak of the new day ahead. He could confidently speak of the new heavens and the new earth in the midst of the chaos that was going on in Israel because he was holding to the promise. And and, and he wasn't losing sight of that. If uh, Mike, I'm throwing questions at you that I didn't give you before, so it's it's totally unfair. Feel free to, um, to, to say you don't want to talk about it. But uh, I, I asked about apologetics. You teach apologetics. I'm going to ask you just for a moment about worship. Um, I don't know how much you talk about Old Testament worship in your worship class, um, but even the worship of the Old Testament, if we're going to talk about Abraham and then talk about Sinai, we're going to talk about law and then about gospel, and some of the worship that we've maybe brought over into the into the liturgy of the Christian church today, but uh, how much of, if you do discuss it in class, how, how, how can we learn from this Old Testament worship that was set up that, uh, that this is not... Um, law and the New Testament gospel, that this was not simply 
following rules and going through motions as well. Sometimes God himself accuses the Israelites of doing that, mm -hmm. but he accuses them of it because he, this is not how he wants it. I don't know if that's a fair question. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll actually start in the garden um, when we, we define worship um, as a Lutheran confessions do, um, find it as trust. Finally, it's faith. And if you, if you take Luther's key and say the first church was in the center of the Garden of Eden at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the, and the tree of life, uh, you, see, you see basically the, the three aspects of, of what I would call three aspects of worship, or at least fundamental things that, that, that worship entails, is that there's going to be eating. You commune with He's made us as eating individuals. Eating has sort of a spiritual feel to it in the, in the rest of the world outside of, of America. Um, so eat from this tree. Um, and then you're going to hear, he's going to talk to you. So you have a speaking and you have an eating. And then he says, trust me, don't eat from here. And so there's some things bigger than, than you. You don't need to know. Don't eat there. I got you covered. You don't have to worry about it. So I trust, right? Um, and then I think it is important that when Satan comes to think about it as Satan attacking worship. Because I, we, are, we are worshipers as human beings. We always have a number one. And so he is going to, uh, Satan's goal is for us to worship a different God. And uh, because if we worship a different God, we will end up uh, giving everything we have to this God. And this God will never give us anything back. He will demand our lives, our money, our energy, and everything. But then playing on that, if we, if we now get into the idea of sacrifice as symbolic of the sacrifice that God is going to make for us, right? Um, then you also have washing. Um, washing being a symbol of Christ washing away of our sins. Um, and we could, we're not going to go down that road because it will be here for hours. But one thing that I do like to point out is uh, the idea of the presence of God. So we already have the word, take me out, we, my word. We have the eating aspect. Who do you eat with? What do you eat? Clean and unclean distinctions. But then also a, a spatial aspect that... When you are before God, this is a holy set-apart place. Take off your shoes, you are on holy ground. And so the Old Testament is very much designed about where God is specifically. Pillar, burning bush, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, Ark of the Covenant, that kind of stuff. This is where I want, this is where I want to meet my people. It's the tent of meeting. But then we notice that there are barriers. There are multiple barriers between the people the things that are more profane to the things that are more holy set apart. So uh, you, have the, you have the nations, then you have Israel, then you have the men, then you have the priests, then you have the high priest, right? And all coming into the presence of God. Um, and, and I say we've lost that in, in our, our modern world, this idea of the presence of God and coming into the presence of God. And so to... to to, I try to get them to think in a different way. And then, of course, then you start, you get the story of Jesus being the high priest, the temple curtain ripping in two. Now you're clean because God has, has touched you, right? And, and Isaiah's angels, holy, holy, holy. I'm a man of unclean lips. And then God comes and says, I make you clean. Peter, kill and eat. Yeah, and then all of these things. And then that yeah, kill and eat would then be, now I send you out in freedom. Right, so I'll make a big deal about the clean and unclean, the spatial aspect, and how 
how we've lost that. And in a large, sometimes it's because, well, that's Old Testamenty stuff. Well, the reason we did that is not because it was Old Testamenty stuff, but because we are modern creatures living in a capitalistic. We are consumers now rather than um, people um, who are living in the presence of God, right? So uh, th there's a lot of aspects that we'll talk about uh, that, that lead us to then a better understanding of our meal aspect that I think does come from the Passover Seder kind of thing. And then our word aspect, which is going to come from the synagogue worship. And it's natural that what we do is actually Jewish. Uh -huh. And we don't have to do that. We are, we are free. But what else are you going to do? This is how God made us. He made us to eat, drink, and speak. This, uh -huh. is, this is what families do. And uh, so that, that, and that leads into the, to the discussion of the different parts of the divine service. I could go on for hours, but <clears throat> no, I will No, and I think stop. that's good. And I think, you know, especially the presence of God, it's interesting as you bring it up because... You know, that's just an especially Lutheran thought in the New Testament. Sometimes you go to more um, generic American Protestant churches, specifically I would say non-denominational or, or evangelical, and God's kind of present as just this thing floating about, mm -hmm. and I can feel the presence of God. But for Lutheranism, too, God is present in essence in space where the word is preached with bread and wine and then in the water of the supper. In fact, he's bound himself to those places, and as in the Old Testament, he's bound himself to them in a gracious way. Um, so you know where to find him. Exactly. And, which he, um, and then the second thing I, I guess I would just say is, um, right, I'm guessing as you get to the sacrificial system, right, Paul says these are shadows of things to come, uh, that these were preachments pointing to the Messiah as well already in the Old Testament. Um, this wasn't just God wanting to run a butcher shop. And I often point out to the students, like, if you want to be too harsh about this, where do you think your hamburger you just had in the cafeteria came from? The meal aspect, right, sure. comes in with, with the sacrifice that was being offered. It's a very, God's always been very gritty and real. Yeah. And if he's distant, then he's not gritty and real. And you don't want him distant. And, and, and then this leads into our true worship, which is our vocations, yeah. right? So, um, and, and the other aspect too is it was always about God doing something for the people, not the other way around. And when they started, the problem is when they started to think that they were doing something for God, that was the problem. It was not just that they were going through the motions. So when people are like, oh, we don't go through the motions because God does not desire sacrifice. He desires faith. The point is, where's the arrow going? Is Sunday morning or worship in the Old Testament, is the arrow going from God to man or is it going from man to God? If it's primarily going from man to God, that's the problem. Yeah. Um, You're going through the motions because these motions are good for you. Mm -hmm. If you do so, recognizing what they're preaching. Yeah. And, and, and then one last thing that Greg goes, uh, just that we are people of ritual, you can't get away from it. So it's either, I, I, I say there's three options. There's ritual without teaching. That's bad. Everybody agrees. Going through the motions. There's teaching without ritual. That's adequate, but I think impossible. And then there's the sweet spot, which is teaching and ritual. And that's why you took this class. Yeah. Because now we're going to teach you about the ritual. So. It seemed like we were heading towards Christian freedom, but before we get there, I wanted to back up a little bit. You had mentioned um, one of the aspects of, of Old Testament worship at the garden, taking God at his word. Uh, you know, and I, I wonder how frustrated we get with the Old Testament God because we have this um, ingrained assumption that God owes us something. Mm -hmm. Like, if you, if you really stop and think, how many times God could have just said to Moses, just shut up and do what I'm telling you, just go. Yeah. 
right? But how often God took the extra step with his people to give him more. You know, and Luther, Luther highlights this um, when he talks about it in, in the uh, Lord's Prayer. If, like, if all we had was our Father, right? It, it was, yeah. am, I, am I referencing yeah. the right thing, right? Yeah. That would be more than adequate. But he gives us so much more. Like, he never had to give Adam and Eve anything beyond Mm-hmm. What he gave them, Moses, Abraham, never had to give any of them anything. So this idea, if God owes us so much, well, it's no wonder I get mad when he's vengeful with me because God owes me better. Yeah. Well, maybe, just maybe God doesn't owe you better, yeah. but he gives it to you. Right? Yeah, and that's a, I, I mean, a thing with, in 110, when we do go through parts of Genesis, that I like to drive home with the students, you know, with Genesis 1 and 2, so often people like to think of Adam and Eve having like a law righteousness in Genesis 1 and 2 because they obeyed. No, they were in the image of God because God created them and such. They were gifted with righteousness. Did they mess it up? You bet you. But it was still gift. It was, it was rooted in, um, in God's word. Maybe as we, we come to, um, I don't want to go too long with this, but we mentioned ceremonial, civil, and moral law. Um, just briefly, ceremonial law where law is governing Old Testament um, Israelite worship, uh, judicial or civic law, Old Testament um, Israelite government. Um, think of the when they're under judges or kings and not occupied. And then the moral law, um, which usually gets associated with, I think it's fair to say, the Decalogue or the the Ten Commandments. I'll throw it to either of you who wants to jump in. What what is, what what's the danger of not understanding the Old Testament ceremonial law? And how it applies or doesn't apply today. Yeah, I think um, it, it's actually pretty easy to explain, right? A civil law is easy, easily explained. Like it's not, it's not morally wrong to drive on the left side of the road, right? But in our country, we've made this civil law for the sake of whatever. So um, we can easily make that distinction. The moral law, it's always wrong to punch somebody in the face for no reason, <laughs> no matter what country you're in, that kind of thing. The ceremonial, for a, a funny YouTube video. Yeah, the ceremonial law, but that's for a reason, right? Yeah. yeah. Ceremonial law um, becomes a little bit trickier, um, but th- the way I kind of tr- like to teach it is to say the ceremonial law had two purposes. One was to, it had a theological aspect. It was to teach the Israelites a handful of things. I'll come back to that. But it also then worked as a hedge to to keep Israel separate so that they could carry out their, um, their duty, um, their privilege, and that is to bring about the Savior, right? So let me take that second one first. You may think, why does not eating shellfish or this, that, or the other thing, how does that protect Israel? Shouldn't they just have an army that protects them? But I would argue that cultures last longer than military powers very often. And, and, I'll, and I'll use this. I said, next time you watch the Olympics, um, when you are watching the parade of nations, tell me where the where the Moabites are, or the Hivites, or the Jebusites, or whatever. All of those got swallowed up by different cultures, but there is going to be a contingent from Israel. It worked, right? Um, through quite a bit of wars, <laughs> quite a bit uh, of nasty stuff. So um, there there is something about they're the ones that were different. The clean and unclean distinction teaches them, I think, three, three basic things. One is they are unclean and they cannot help but be unclean. 
like you can't get away from it because um, there are certain things, and this would be the second point. There's a lot of things that make you unclean, and there are different reasons. But, but I think the center of it is, or at least one aspect of it is, that anything had to do with the cycle of life. Nocturnal emission, birth, death, um, period, that kind of stuff. That made you unclean. I think there's a hint of original sin there, that this, mm. you are unclean, you are sinful, you cannot help it, and it is handed down to you. And then the third aspect is you can't clean yourself. You need to be cleansed by something holy. And so there's a transitional thing going on here that un if I touch something that's unclean, it makes me unclean. But then if I'm washed, if I touch the clean, then I, I, I get transferred that cleanliness. And I think that's a hint of the righteousness of Christ being transferred to us. So if you see one of the things that what Christ will do is he'll eat with unclean people. He touches the coffin of the widow's son at Nain. Puts his hands on the blind and the mute that he, the deaf that he heals. And, and, and to the lep speaks with the lepers, all that kind of stuff. And I think what's underneath all of that is it's not that the uncleanness gets transferred to Jesus, but the cleanliness of Jesus gets transferred to the life give, is given to death rather than death to life. And so I think that's, it's maybe an oversimplification, but for, our purposes at the college, I think that's what we have to we have to we have to make it that kind of simplified. Yeah. Well, and just thinking out loud here, how much of the ceremonial law is about teaching the people who you are as an individual, but also who God is? So, you know, I, I think about the most holy place. You enter into that unless God set you apart for that purpose. You enter into that place and you die. Mm. What is what message is being sent there? On the other hand, we're going to set apart this one person who can enter into the most holy place. What is that teaching? You know, so there's a law gospel aspect to the ceremonial law. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to push that too hard, but they're, they're learning something about themselves. They're learning what they are not by nature. They, they are also learning what God has set you apart for. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that, that's interesting that you're not allowed, like, why does God strike down Uzzah. I think there's a, there's a lot going on there. But. One of the most frustrating things to teach in all of scripture, I think, so, <laughs> because it seems so random. Right. But I think finally is you don't touch God. Right. The uh, message was crystal clear to the next yeah. person who was going to help right. the ark. From and, and, and there's reasons why we think that because it's on a cart. It's not being carried by the right, you know, all these things. Um, and yet you are allowed to, or, but God's allowed to touch you. Or you know the high priest going into the ark of the, the ark of the covenant being carried. Um, so when God touches you, that's that's a whole different whole different thing. And so it's it's on God's terms for your benefit, right? You know, I, I think though too. While while this is all really good, I think it's good to acknowledge for people who don't know the Old Testament that well. We're going to forgive David for you know adultery and murder and kill Uzzah for touching the ark when it was about to fall. Mm -hmm. Like, it's beneficial, I think, when you're having this discussion to acknowledge, yeah, that looks a little bit off, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. You know, and, and there's a lot of explaining there about what's going on, but uh, don't dismiss the frustration right off, right off the bat because... There's something there. At some point you have to say, well, I'm just going to let God be God. <laughs> and then the lesson for us is to say, the, the lesson for us is, if God can forgive David, he can forgive me. Um, and so then God becomes the father and not something that I just, that I'm just going to play around with. Right. Um, 
Yeah, it, it, I mean, th- that's when you start to become pastor there. Instead of it, just and teaching. I guess my, my point is yeah. just to say that the frustration about the, quote, Old Testament God is not completely unfounded. Right? Oh, no. You know, uh, right. you know, I don't want to dismiss that outright, but you got to do a lot of explaining, uh, yep. a lot of reading of Romans, a lot of reading of Hebrews. And yep. and the Psalms where God says, you're, 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 you're allowed to lament. Yeah. yeah. You're and, allowed I mean, to do this. And Job, right. I mean, he, right. he bears with it. What about... Maybe this one uh, is a little more obvious. Um, civil law, I think it's fair to say um, that there have been a number of peoples, countries, groups that have taken a stab at a theocracy mm-hmm. since the original theocracy, which was Israel. I think it's also fair to say I wouldn't want to live in any of those places. Um, and probably the church and the state suffered for it. Um, any dangers you guys see of when we don't properly understand the place and the role of God's Old Testament civil law? I don't want to go too far down this road, but, you know, when you read through, I, I don't want to make it just about six commandment sins, right? But when you read through the sexual sins in Leviticus, for example, it's easy to dismiss what God is saying on the basis of how the Israelites were expected to react to those sins. So in our day and age, if I would say, this thing is a sin. Oh, well, if you're going to say that, does that mean you're going to take me out back and stone me to death? No, (laughs) that's not what I'm saying. Um, But to distinguish between the moral law and, well, in that case, capital punishment. And we we see that in the New Testament when Jesus comes upon the woman about to be stoned, how those two relate. Um, But I, I... it's easy to dismiss one if you don't understand both. Yeah, I agree. Um, <clears throat> I would say in this regard, I think that the dangers are more pronounced, right? Um, and I, I would simply say go listen to our last 10-part series <laughs> on some of the issues with America. Um, but if I could throw out there, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, I would say with the ceremonial and civil, just because they're not applicable in the same way today, I wouldn't say, and I think Mike's made clear that, that you can do this, there are still principles that can be drawn. So, for instance, we do see in God's Old Testament civil law, he has a concern for justice, the foreigner in the land, um, that women be treated better than they were being <clears throat> treated at the time. So I just want to make sure, make clear that we're not dismissing the usefulness for reading these things and for finding principles um, as we look at them. Finally, moral But it, but it would be foolish to to just say... We're going to take how they enacted judgment 3,000 years ago. Under a theocracy. Under a theocracy, without the complete revelation of the New Testament, without post-Pentecost, all that kind of stuff. We don't do that in any other, you know, we don't set up that false kind of dichotomy. dichotomy Like you're like, uh, you know, well, we should do justice the way this minority did. 3,000 years ago because we hate the Western way. You know, we hate Christianity's justice from the Old Testament. Well, that's not, you know, it, it just becomes kind of a, are you being serious in this discussion? Kind of yeah. Thing. Finally, moral law. Um, Luther basically says moral law is to a great extent natural law. It's the law that's written on our hearts. It's the things we just know. Most cultures, um, while they might define when this becomes a specific sin, are not cool with stealing, with murdering, um, cheating on another person's spouse. They usually don't um, celebrate envy and greed. 
Um, they're usually not big fans of slander, although I think gossip's a pretty universal sin. Um, and so the moral law, if we're thinking of the Decalogue, almost all of it is natural law. Even the first commandment, to a degree, where we have knowledge there's something out there <clears throat> that we should try to get right with. Um, but especially the, <clears throat> the last seven commandments, all of these are reiterated by Christ in the New Testament. In fact, some of them are made more difficult. I was uh, just working on not committing adultery, but then Jesus comes along and says, whosoever works, looks at another lustfully. I was right. really working on the not murdering. Right. And then I, he's like, don't be angry. And you guys know me. I haven't murdered anybody in months. And yeah. then I felt feeling pretty good about myself. And then I realized I have still been murdering. Yeah. I, the other day, I literally think I said, rock a brother. You know? <laughs> um, but uh, that, that one, I've been pretty pure on yeah but that this this still stands but this stands <clears throat> not as a means for salvation um but rather we're saved in the same way that abraham was saved that adam and eve were saved as greg explained so um helpfully um and mike did connect it with worship so that we now um melanchthon says the new testament is all freedom and what he means by that is simply that uh we live in the same freedom of the gospel uh, as Abraham and others, with Christ having come. We get to look back and even see what Jesus has done for us um, so that with our sins forgiven, we no longer have to, um, in any way, uh, look to the law for salvation because they've been clearly given, as we see in Lent, uh, in the person and by the work of our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, maybe, hopefully, I don't know um, how helpful this was. I enjoyed the discussion. Maybe this is an encouragement for, for some out there in the ministry to think about a, uh, a fun Old Testament Bible class that brings out some of the gospel themes there. Um, maybe for some of the lady, uh, get out, crack open your Old Testament. If you have a Lutheran study Bible or a Concordia self-study Bible, maybe even better because I'm not always a fan of study Bibles for everything, but sometimes with the Old Testament, they're super helpful for historical context and stuff like that. There's just so much, right? Yeah. yeah. So maybe crack it open. Um, but maybe in general, to remember that uh, God being a God of mercy is not a new thing, um, but it's the way it's been since the beginning. And we thank God um, for that because humans being sinners is not a new thing. It's been that way since Genesis 3. And uh, that's who Christ came to save. Anything you two got? Otherwise, I'll let one of you wrap it up. No. I'd love to get into freedom more. Um, Melanchthon has a lot more to say yeah. about some of that. So and maybe we can follow up with that. We'll see. Mike was right that this was going to be too much for one episode. Sometimes you're right, Mike. i got to give it to Once you. Once in a while. No, there's a lot going on there. I think, finally, though, we being created in the image of God, even though we've lost that, it's been redeemed in Christ crucified. and. Part of God is he's, he is a free agent, and we're not free like him, but I think he wants us to be free, right? I mean, the whole, the whole story of not just the Exodus, but the whole Old Testament is that we would be free, free from sin and free for love of neighbor, and the Israelites would be the, Israelites would be the, the priesthood to all nations and, and giving them that freedom in Christ. And so with that freedom, we hope that you will come back and and uh, listen to us again if you so choose but until you uh, make that decision whatever you do let the bird fly every evening when the sun goes down get with my party and I begin to cry I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk I'm just a drinker I say I'm up 